Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched movies in a 20-year period. Today I will be talking about number three on my list, Paramount Pictures, Goober Peters Company, Polygram Pictures, and Deborah Hill Productions' 1985 comedy mystery Clue. Directed by Jonathan Lynn, Written by John Landis and Jonathan Lynn, based on the board game Cluedo, designed by Anthony E. Pratt, and starring Eileen Brennan, Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKeon, Martin Mull, and Leslie M. Warren. Six strangers are invited to an ominous, secluded mansion to meet the man who has been anonymously blackmailing them. But someone wants to protect their secret badly enough to kill for it, and as the bodies begin to pile up, the butler, maid, and guests race to discover the culprit before the police arrive. I grew up in a board game playing family, so I learned how to play Clue soon after I learned how to read. We also had a slightly more complicated version of the game called Master Detective, which had more possible suspects, weapons, and rooms, and included a couple extra features, and that has pretty much always been my favorite board game. What I particularly loved about it, especially as a child who never had much hope of beating my parents at games that required any skill, was that it was fun regardless of who the winner ended up being. I just liked seeing how close I could get to the solution before someone else inevitably solved it. I remember my parents mentioning that there was a movie version of Clue that had three different endings and that they had seen ending B in a theater, which confused and intrigued me. The first time I ever watched this movie was when it happened to come on TV when I was visiting my grandparents. I think I was around 10 years old, and I actually thought it was kind of scary. Watching seven murders take place in a creepy old house was a bit much for me. But even then, there was something about it that grabbed me. The characters were all kind of despicable, and yet I liked them. I wanted to see more from them. So we started renting this movie from our local Hollywood video over and over again and eventually we bought it on VHS and later on DVD. Once I got over my initial fright and started appreciating it as a brilliant comedy, I could not get enough of this movie. I can't even begin to guess how many times I watched Clue before I started tracking my views in 2003, but I know it was a lot because every moment of the movie was already committed to my memory. If I was ever bored, I could close my eyes and play the film for myself with the projector of my mind. I wrote out the entire script so I could count how many words each character spoke. I used toys to act out the entire movie, along with the only person I knew who was more obsessed with Clue than I was, my brother, who was also fascinated by these characters and their antics, although as a preschooler he certainly did not fully understand the plot. But that was fine, because ultimately this movie's appeal is not its plot, which is basically nonsense. It's the ensemble. And it was so great having somebody close to me who understood that the same way I did. I think the rest of our family liked this movie too, but they definitely ended up watching it way more than they would have without my brothers and my insistence. My need to rewatch this movie was already beginning to wear off before I started keeping track, since the whole thing already lived rent-free in my brain, but even so, I watched it six times in 2003, four times in 2004, once in 2005, three times in 2006, twice in 2007, once in 2008, once in 2009, four times in 2010, twice in 2011, once in 2012, three times in 2013, once in 2014, twice in 2015, once in 2016, once in 2017, once in 2018, and once in 2021. 
I think part of why I've been watching it less in recent years is because ever since 2016, when I felt like watching something like this, I've tended to watch Poe Party instead of Clue. But that's not to say I don't still absolutely love Clue. I've just seen it enough that I don't need to actually sit down in front of a screen to experience it. One thing that I learned relatively recently that explains a lot is that apparently Jonathan Lynn screened the movie His Girl Friday for the cast of Clue to demonstrate the feel he wanted for this movie. Even though Clue was made in the 1980s, it takes place in the 1950s and was intentionally mimicking the style of fast-talking screwball comedies from the 1930s and 40s. So while I still consider watching Singin' in the Rain in 2002 my proper introduction to old Hollywood, falling in love with Clue a couple years earlier really prepared me to fall in love with old movies. Characters who look glamorous and sophisticated but are actually goofballs getting involved in ridiculous situations is my jam, and Clue takes what classic screwballs did with that to a whole new level. The script brilliantly combined several different types of both old-fashioned and updated comedy, and the perfect cast brought it to life in the best possible way. I don't know if the His Girl Friday screening had any real impact, but regardless, every member of the cast fully understood the assignment and absolutely crushed it. A big part of what makes this movie so rewatchable is that everybody is so on all of the time that it's fun to focus on what they're doing in the background. Martin Mull is an amazing, confidently clueless Colonel Mustard. Leslie M. Warren gives Miss Scarlet just the right amount of sass. Christopher Lloyd makes Professor Plum sleazy enough that we get the picture without it ever getting too uncomfortable. Eileen Brennan nails Mrs. Peacock's barely-holding-it-together-but-can-still-judge-you temperament. Mr. Green is accident-prone, which means he brings in the physical comedy, and Michael McKeon fully commits to it. Of the main characters, Mrs. White has the fewest lines, but Madeline Kahn makes her presence known, doing absolutely everything possible with what she's given and improvising one of the greatest, funniest speeches in movie history. Jonathan Lynn discouraged improvisation on the set in general, but Kahn going on and on about the flames on the side of her face was too hilarious not to include. This devotion to delivering the lines exactly as written meant that Tim Curry as the butler Wadsworth, who ultimately figures out what happened and explains the whole thing, had to basically memorize a dictionary, and he killed it and I love him for it. When I was younger, I used to think I had a crush on Wadsworth, but I eventually came to realize that I just wanted to be Wadsworth, with the confidence to solve a puzzle and the eloquence to explain the solution in a highly entertaining, if long-winded, way. The supporting cast is also excellent, and I wish that we could have seen more from them. Lee Ving's name alone made him the perfect murder victim, but I also love the way he plays Mr. Body as sort of a cool mobster type of guy. Colleen Camp as the voluptuous, scantily clad maid Yvette is almost a throwaway joke of a character, but Camp manages to make her seem like a real person, or as real as any of these other ridiculous characters anyway. When I took French in high school and we all had to pick a French name, I chose Yvette because of this movie, even though I never even remotely identified with this character. Bill Henderson as the cop is an excellent straight man for the shenanigans with the bodies, which is either one of the funniest or most disturbing parts of the film, depending on how you look at it. Jeffrey Kramer, Kelly Nakahara, and Jane Weedland barely had anything to do, but they made their brief moments as memorable as possible. Basically, as fun as the script is, this movie would not have worked without an incredible cast, and thankfully it has that. In some ways, I wish the actors had been allowed to play around a bit more because then maybe we could have gotten other moments as epic as the flame speech, but at the same time, I feel like the pressure to say everything exactly as written in long takes added to the stress the characters were meant to be feeling. 
And the script is full of great jokes and excellent banter. It's just that since the mystery aspect doesn't really track anyway, I feel like the director could have let the actors have more fun with it. I understand that they were trying to use the multiple endings to represent how the game is different every time and also as a bit of a publicity stunt, but it kind of backfired. Theater-going audiences found it confusing, and the movie initially flopped. Thankfully, with the home video version that included all three endings, Clue eventually did gain the cult following it deserves. But the problem is, in trying to accommodate three different solutions, the mystery gets lost in the middle and none of the endings actually track. Yvette's death is the part that makes the least sense. We clearly see Mrs. Peacock and Mrs. White were both elsewhere seconds beforehand, so endings B and C don't work. And in ending A, Yvette was working with the killer, so what she says right before she is killed doesn't make any sense. For all of Wadsworth's explanations, each ending leaves many unanswered questions, and they kind of draw attention to this in two of the endings, with one character saying, there's still one thing I don't understand, and somebody else interjecting, one thing? Clearly this was meant to be a comedy rather than a serious murder mystery, but I do feel like if they weren't trying to be so gimmicky, they could have made the mystery part work too. See Poe Party. Although in some ways, I kind of love that Clue doesn't make sense. It feels perfectly consistent to have these characters who are pretending to be serious and dignified when they're really all very silly people get caught up in a murder mystery with three endings that don't work. When I point out Clue's plot holes, it's more like gently ribbing a friend than cinematic critique. I have to analyze the flaws in the story because of who I am as an overthinker, but I don't think the flaws make it bad. If anything, they increase my enjoyment of the movie. It's like a game, spot all the inconsistencies and then realize that none of them matter. Because ultimately, fans of this movie aren't here for the story. We're here for the cast and the vibes. I don't really know how to describe it, but while there are certainly other fun mystery parody type comedies out there, none of the others I've seen has quite the same tone as Clue, and that's another reason I keep rewatching it. And from an Arrow Ace perspective, Clue is great because there really is no love story. I mean, people mention spouses and affairs and jealousy is floated as a possible motive for murder, but none of the characters that we see fall in love with each other during the course of the movie. Professor Plum does hit on Miss Scarlet a bit, but her reaction is very, what the hell is wrong with you? We have way more important things to worry about right now. When the cop shows up in order to prevent him from finding out about the murders, some of the characters pretend to be making out with the bodies as if they're alive, which is very weird on many levels, but it's kind of a great illustration of the ridiculousness of allonormativity. If the cop had looked twice at them, he would have noticed something was off. But of course adults at a party are going to be making out, nothing to see here, moving on. I always thought this part was hilarious when I was younger, and now that I understand my identity better, I can articulate my appreciation for the way this movie portrays people who are focused on romance as the weird ones. Obviously, that's specific to this situation. Like, I think most alloromantic people would agree that being locked in a murder house is not the best time to pursue romance. But aromantic stories are so rare that I'll take whatever I can find. When Clue mentions sex, it's usually either as a punchline, life after death is as improbable as sex after marriage, or part of a motive, since most of the blackmail victims are being blackmailed for something to do with sex. The sexual content is mostly in the background, adding to the vibes without pulling too much focus, kind of like some of my favorite classic film noir. And this whole movie is so silly that I don't feel like the sexiness is really meant to be taken seriously. Asking how an asexual person could possibly enjoy a film filled with so many blatantly allosexual characters would be just as ridiculous as asking how a person who had never killed anyone could possibly enjoy a film filled with so much murder. 
These characters clearly weren't meant to be too relatable. But I still appreciate getting to see them on an evening when they're at least mostly focused on things besides romance and sex. I know I keep going on about how this movie is just silly fun, but one aspect that I do think was meant to be taken kind of seriously is the satirical criticism of McCarthyism. The exaggeratedly horrified gasps in response to Wadsworth's revelation that his wife had friends who were socialists is funny, but also people's lives were legitimately ruined because of that attitude. The only line that all three endings have in common is, communism is just a red herring, which is relevant to the movie because characters were trying to tie the murders into Cold War-related motives that ended up being irrelevant, but also kind of describes how trying to stop communism was used as an excuse for atrocities that didn't always have much, if anything, to do with communism. It's a little odd to stick that message in this movie, and I don't exactly know why it's there, but I like the way it adds to the old Hollywood connection. Filmmakers in the 1950s had to be very careful about the messages they put in their movies and what they said outside of their movies for fear of being blacklisted as suspected communists, so it seems fitting that this movie set in the 1950s would be calling that out. Although there were very much still Cold War tensions in the 1980s as well, which is perhaps why this message is all but buried in silliness. And maybe I'm wrong and this aspect was meant to be silly as well, but it feels rather pointed to me, so I wanted to bring it up as one of the many fascinating aspects of this film. I truly believe that Clue is a great movie that has something for everyone, and highly recommend it to anyone listening who hasn't seen it. But at the same time, I am incapable of separating the movie from my own nostalgia. I can't imagine what I would think of this movie if I watched it today for the first time because I would be a fundamentally different person if I hadn't seen Clue a zillion times when I was young. Not only did it inform my taste in movies going forward, but it also shaped my understanding of the world in a way. I think like most children, I once assumed adults knew what they were doing, but this movie showed me a bunch of adults who didn't have the slightest idea, which was simultaneously terrifying and comforting. It also changed the way I talked, because I used to quote this movie constantly. I do it less now, but there was a time when instead of, I wasn't talking to you, I would always say, I was asking Miss Scarlet. Or when somebody was looking for a key, I'd go, never mind about the key, unlock the door. If anybody said, maybe, with a long pause, I'd have to follow it with, Mr. Body killed the cook. And similarly, Oh, who cares? Always had to be followed by, that guy doesn't matter. Let him stay locked up for another half an hour. The police will be here by then, and there are two dead bodies in the study. And if anyone got confused about numbers, I'd helpfully chime in, even if you were right. That'd be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. I could go on, but I'd end up quoting the whole movie because I'm pretty sure I've managed to work every single line into a non-clue-related conversation at least once. Often people just stare at me blankly, but it's fun quoting it to my siblings because they usually respond with the next line and we can go through whole scenes if nobody stops us. I have so many fun memories of reciting and analyzing this movie with them, arguing about things like whether Mr. Body says it's only glass or it's hunky glass about the conservatory wall. It's definitely only, but my sister will not be convinced. Memories of my little brother adorably misunderstanding lines, thinking that Mrs. White's husband had a big fair with Yvette, or that Mrs. Peacock said, Oh, I got a horse, instead of, Oh my god, of course. Or that blackmail was what those dark brown UPS trucks delivered. 
At one point, I wrote a script for Master Detective, which had the same basic premise as Clue, a bunch of blackmail victims congregated in a house to confront their blackmailer and his accomplices, but made even less sense. I didn't back it up so it disappeared when that computer died, thankfully, but I still remember enough of it to cringe about. Since all the suspects had color names, I decided all the murder victims needed themed names as well, so I named them all after body parts to go with Mr. Body and thought I was so clever. I don't remember most of them anymore, but I know there was a Mr. Elbow and a Mrs. Toenail. I also remember at one point I wrote in the direction something like, It's so quiet you could hear a pin drop. In fact, Miss Peach drops a pin. And again, was delighted by my own cleverness. My brother and I used to act it out with toys, and one time, after the dead body of the butler had been thrown out the window for some reason right before somebody else was arriving, my brother was being silly and had the new person pick up the dead body and say, I brought your butler back, seemingly without realizing that the butler was dead, and I thought that was so hilarious that I added it into the script, and it's still my favorite part that I remember. It was a bad script, but in my defense, I was very young. And anyway, my point is, Clue inspired me to be creative in a fun way without worrying about taking my work or myself too seriously, which is the attitude I've tried to take into making this podcast. I feel like there is so much more I could say about Clue, but it's hard to find words to adequately express how deeply I love this film. It feels wrong to call this a comfort movie when there are so many murders in it, but somehow it does feel comforting. It's like an old friend whose jokes I've heard a hundred times but still make me laugh, whom I love in spite of and in some ways because of their flaws. I know not everybody is into movies the way I am, but I think everybody needs at least one story or piece of art that they feel that way about. Not that experiencing art is a substitute for real friendship, but art is a form of human expression and connection that I think we all need in addition to relationships. And yes, I consider Clue to be a work of art. It's a frickin' masterpiece. Thank you for listening to me discuss another of my most frequently rewatched movies. I fear these episodes are becoming less coherent as I get into my top films that I can't even with, but I hope they're still enjoyable. Next up will be my second most rewatched movie, which I have seen 37 times in its entirety, even though it is by far the longest movie in my entire top 40. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. Shelves in the closet. Happy thought indeed.